Welcome, everybody, back to the Baseball Dorks. It's episode 18. Uh, the trade deadline has come and gone. I have Nick and Ryan with me here. We're going to break it all down for you guys. Um, so last episode, it was all just about uh, speculation. Bunch of speculation leading up to the trade deadline. Um, guys, was this the best trade deadline ever? I cannot remember a trade deadline where so much happened, um, not only at on deadline day, but even leading up to it, it felt like there were so many transactions, not just like small ones, but big ones uh, that are going to make a difference here down the road. It seems like there were just so many um, uh, big deals done of notable players, a lot of big prospects. We got a bit of everything like superstar players, superstar prospects, um, uh, teams that you didn't think would be going for it are actually going for it. Uh, what are your thoughts on this? Nick, I'll start with you. Yeah, I... <sighs> It's hard to remember what has happened in like past years, but this is definitely a memorable one. Um, and, you know, this is just kind of what happens when you have some divisions that are incredibly competitive. NL West, all three teams at the top made big splashes. AL East, all the teams, ex, you know, made splashes. They, they had made really big moves. So um it's going to be really interesting to see where these teams end up down the road, uh, you know, playoffs wise, if they all end up making the playoffs, but uh, yeah. Yeah. Very exciting. The week of day of uh, deadline day. Fantastic. Yeah. Right. You know, so I think there's a couple of reasons why we saw so many. Well, one is that they got rid of that second trade deadline that they used to have. Like you guys remember Justin Verlander was traded from <laughs> yeah. the Tigers to the Astros in August. In August, yeah. And so like teams could, if an injury happened or like with the A's who just lost Ramon Laureano for an 80 game suspension, but that happened after the trade deadline. So in years past, they could have addressed that through another small waiver trade, but now they're just kind of stuck with what they have. So I think that's why teams were a little more desperate to make or get deals done. And then I think also at the beginning of the season, teams didn't really know the financial situation or how many fans would be allowed in ballparks. But as of now, it still seems like there's going to be full ballparks and teams are making money. So a lot of contenders are able to take on deals where like the Dodgers taking on contracts or just a lot of these big market teams able to take on probably more than they um, expected. I will say the one thing that this deadline was missing was a big buzzer beater deal. Like in years past, right at two o'clock where the deadline right afterwards we've seen like you darvish get traded or a couple years ago it was zach granke like that was just such a shocker and it happened right at the deadline so there was a few that like trickled in and it actually felt like for another hour there were deals being announced but no like major deals at the last second but i mean beggars can't be choosers it was still an incredible deadline i would say no major deals that we saw coming because the chris bryant deal was pretty big and that happened at the last second um, but yeah, we, we, we were kind of expecting the Bryant to be traded. Uh, we're going to dive into the, <laughs> the trio, or I should say the quartet of, uh, Cubs superstars that were traded, uh, shortly, but figured the best way to tackle this would be going, going division by division. So let's start with national league. Uh, we'll start with the national league West, which arguably had the biggest trade of the deadline when the Dodgers, um, man, they were, they weren't kidding. They're really going for it again. Um, 
somehow the World Series champions, the reigning World Series champions got better by acquiring Max Scherzer and Trey Turner from the Washington Nationals in exchange for a group of prospects which are headlined by Kybert Ruiz, the catcher, and Josiah Gray, uh, the um, right-handed starter. Um, this trade was, uh, I'm sure Scherzer was on um, just on edge that whole like 24-hour period where he made a start for the Nationals. Then he thought he was going to go to San Diego. And um, I, I believe Ken Rosenthal was the one that reported that the uh, Padres were closing in on a deal to acquire Scherzer. And then it just stayed plateaued at that same status level for hours. And then it went to now other teams are in the mix. We knew he wanted to land on the West Coast. That, that, that was his ideal landing spot. Um, and a lot of us were speculating Dodgers before. But when I saw that notification that the Padres were going to land him, I'm like, yes, this is exactly what the Padres needed. They needed some uh, uh, to make a big splash here. And I was going to then think, what are the Dodgers going to do next to counteract this move? Because it seems like over the offseason, that's what they were doing. Painless game of like ping pong back and forth. Um, but nope, it turns out the Dodgers ended up landing not only Max Scherzer, but Trey Turner as well. And at this point, I see no holes in their lineup whatsoever. Um, there really weren't many holes before, but now definitely uh, they have a, um, a two two all stars joining their their um, their starting team. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, I'll, I'll go first. I guess I yes, obviously this is an incredible move, not only for the Dodgers adding these two incredible players, but keeping them away from San Diego or San Francisco or even any of the other NL headers that might have wanted to pull the trigger on a deal like that. I will say, if you look at where the Dodgers expected to be at this point and what they had to go do, I'm not sure they're better off right now than they expected they would be at the beginning of the year because Trevor Bauer's almost definitely not throwing another pitch for this team, maybe ever, def almost definitely not this year. Kershaw's on the 60-day DL, expected to return in September, but any setback and he could miss, I don't know, time into the playoffs potentially. So Scherzer is kind of covering holes at this point, obviously small holes when you also have Bueller and Urias and all these other arms that the Dodgers have. So yes, the Dodgers are still in, in an incredible position, but it's not like they're adding on top of Bauer or on top of Kershaw. They're kind of replacing them a little bit. And I think with Turner, I feel like his impact is going to be greater next year than it is this year when he takes over as a starting shortstop for Corey Seager, yeah. obviously having both is even better, but that means AJ Pollock is on the bench or Chris Taylor's on the bench. Is Chris or is uh, Trey Turner that much better than those guys? Not really over a two month period. Obviously he is an upgrade, but not a major one. Um, those guys are really good players. Chris Taylor was an all-star this year. Um, so yes, an incredible move for the Dodgers felt like one they almost had to make with those players being out, but I don't see it as like some move that puts the Dodgers way ahead of all the other NL contenders. Nick? Yeah, I, I, I liked your point about um, the key being Trey Turner um, staying another year, having another year on the Dodgers, which is really um, impactful because it means they don't need to dish out a ton of money for Seager. Um, and looking at what they sent to the Nationals, uh, Kiebert Ruiz makes sense. Will Smith is their catcher of the future, at least for the next four or five years. I forget how many years of control they have over him, but so they don't really need a, an MLB ready catcher because they already have Will Smith. 
Um, Josiah Gray, he's another top prospect, um, got really good stuff. Um, I'm not going to say they don't need him, but they have Dustin May, Gonsolin. They have, they have a bunch of guys right there. Bueller, it, they don't necessarily need him. It would be good to have him, but he, you know, he's movable. And then a couple other guys. Um, I think it's just a trade that makes sense for both sides. Um, and I, I like the return for both teams. Yeah. Now, I was going to say good, good for the Nats for like actually pulling the trigger on this. I feel like there was some rumors saying that they might just keep him and try to re-sign him, but they had to make this move. If they were going to reset their franchise and get some good, cheap young players to go along with their aging veterans, making a lot of money. Yeah, I'm curious to see what the Padres offer was and if it was really that much better. Um, but yeah, Nick, you brought up a good point. The the Dodgers, they don't they don't have just they don't just have an embarrassment of riches on their major league roster. It's even in their farm to the point where teams would kill for these prospects that, that were sent back. And they were just expendable pieces, pieces that, like you said, they have no need for them down the road um in the near future that at least so um it was a lot easier to pull this uh, to pull the trigger on this trade and also uh ryan to supplement your point yeah like the the fact that they were able to shoot down the padres and get better at the same time it was a win-win for them um i was kind of hoping the giants would have swooped in at the last minute when i heard other teams were uh were interested but um instead they opted to get chris bryant from the cubs in exchange for at the time, I remember when this trade was made, there was a, I don't know, it must have been a fake account or something like that, where it said Joey Bart was part of the deal. And I was gonna say, I think that would have been insane. <laughs> that would have been a steal, um, especially, but especially since the deal was done so close to the deadline. I think it was like at 359 or whatever, like with, like, with a minute to go. Um, it, it's clear the Cubs weren't getting exactly what they wanted back, uh, but still, they got a couple good prospects, um, an, an outfielder and a, and a right handed pitcher from the Giants, and uh, no doubt that Bryant is going to make an impact in that lineup, a lineup that's been full of of um, overachieving veterans is how I, I guess I would put the the, uh, the Giants and some guys who have run into some luck. Um, he's a more established guy, and uh, no, I, I'm curious to see if they're going to try to extend him. Um, I think ultimately it'll be, it'll, it'll come down to, to uh, um, I, how much you guys think of Bryant would fetch on the open market right now? I'm, I'm curious. I'm curious to hear what you guys would think. Cause he clearly wants something in the, you know, North of 200 million, maybe closer to 300. Um, but is he worth no that? Way. No. Right. The first number that came to my mind is like 120 over like oh, wow. five years. Yeah. Ooh. I just, I don't really <laughs> feel like giving wow. Chris Bryant that much money. I don't, I don't think I would be the high bidder in a Chris Bryant sweepstakes. If that yeah. gives you any indication. So I think yeah. what we we would all agree that whoever is going to end up signing him long term is going to overpay. Yeah, I don't really lo- love the long term outlook for Bryant. It is nice that he is pretty athletic and play multiple positions, but I don't know. I feel like the bat has already been trending down. I don't love the bat long term, and is he that much of an asset if he can play multiple positions? If he's not playing any of them at an above average level. Um, I think that definitely has some value, but I don't know if I'd pay $200 million for, I don't know, a 120 WRC plus that's a below average defender. I feel yeah. like you can find that for pretty cheap a lot of times, at least platoon guys. Mm-hmm. Um, so you might lose some versatility, some versatility or some athleticism or something. But if you're giving a guy $200 million, you better be getting an absolute stud. And I love Brian, but I don't think he's that anymore. Yeah. 
Um, and by the way, I glossed over the fact that the Dodgers also acquired Danny Duffy. Uh, he was great earlier this year for the Royals, but then unfortunately um, has been hurt and he might be back in September. So they um, just a wild card. Yeah, exactly. And then they, they didn't have to give up much for him at all. Um, uh, so yeah, nice little depth piece there. And if he comes back and does something in September or October, then great. Um, but yeah, the Giants, aside from that, though, were very quiet. Aside from Chris Bryant, uh, I know that was like their, their, um, uh, we were following like what the Giants would do. They were so silent for so long. And then literally at the last minute is when they decided to do their, to do their big acquisition. Uh, I'm surprised we didn't see anything. Um, we didn't see them acquire like a, any bullpen pieces or a rotation piece. I really would have, that would have been nice to kind of supplement there, but uh, it seems like they, they kind of understand where they are. Um, they know they sh- probably shouldn't be going all in right now. Cause let's face it. I'm sure even they think they, they know that this year is kind of a, um, a pleasant surprise. I doubt they were, they, they thought that they were, um, going to compete for first or second place in this division. And here they are. Um, so I think they realize that their window is still, um, it's, it's open now, but it, it opened sooner than they thought it would. So that's why they didn't really go all in on, on, uh, trying to, to win it all now. Um, but, uh, yeah, this Giants team is really special. And we'll, in the next episode, when we go into uh, a deeper dive of the standings, we'll, we'll talk a bit more about them. Uh, but the one team where, <laughs> wait, before we move on, sorry, yeah, can I say one yeah. more thing about, uh, Chris Bryant to the Giants? Yeah. I feel like, I don't know, kind of like what I was saying with Trey Turner to the Dodgers, it almost feels like a luxury to have Chris Bryant on this team. They already have a right-handed hitting third baseman in Longoria who should be coming back soon. They have Listella who plays on the infield as well, along with their starters, Brandon Crawford, and then um, Brandon Belt's back at first base. The outfield is already too crowded with Yastrzemski and Dickerson and Lamont Wade and Duggar and Slater. They also have Darren Ruff who plays against lefties. They just have so many guys. And I feel like one of the reasons we didn't see a ton of moves from the Giants is because they have so many guys. You look at the rotation too. Outside of Kevin Gosman, there might not be anyone who's a top-tier arm, but they are so deep that for a while, Logan Webb wasn't even in the rotation, and he's a really good starting pitcher. Um, their bullpen is pretty deep, too. So I feel like they just kind of looked at it and saw, and we might not have any studs, but if we upgrade on the margins, is it even really that much of an upgrade? It would have had to be a superstar to make a really big difference, and I guess they just didn't want to pay that right now, and I think that makes sense. Yeah. Was it them who we were talking about who has like just like a major league average roster for the most part, which is actually pretty valuable to have. Well, we'll them and, and the Brewers. Yeah, Flores too. That's another guy. Yeah, good. Yeah. Well, no, I'm, I'm saying the, the Giants lineup, it consists of a bunch of oh, just, Wilmer yeah. Flores. Wilmer Flores times nine or times like eight. Like one, yeah. 110 WRC plus. Mm-hmm. Them and the Brewers, just every guy is a solid 820 OPS. Or yeah. In uh, I, I take that. Um, of course. The Padres. If... <laughs> I feel like if they were not essentially already um, uh, that was announced that they were going to get Max Scherzer, we'd be looking at their <laughs> at their trade deadline completely different. Um, a few days prior to the deadline, they did acquire uh, all star second baseman slash outfielder Adam Frazier from the Pirates uh, in exchange for I think the uh, uh, Marcano Tucapita Marcano was the um, the shortstop that went over to the to the Pirates along with a few other prospects, but. I mean, that was a good get for them. Um, once again, kind of like uh, we didn't really need you, but um, but at the same time, I guess it never hurts to have depth, you know, especially with uh, especially in the last couple of weeks with all these COVID IL, um, uh, it, not injuries, but placements. And then, of course, like uh, you can never predict injuries. So I guess it's never too bad to have 
too much depth, but um, this, I guess if, if, if they needed depth, it really wasn't going to be in their infield where they needed it. It was more, I think their starting rotation where they needed some depth. Um, this move kind of surprised me, but I mean, overall, if, if, if you, if you have the chance to acquire the MLB hits leader, um, go for it, I guess, Nick. Yeah. And especially with recent news of, uh, of Tati's not being a shortstop anymore, <laughs> uh, you know, <laughs> at, at least for this year, year. Yeah. at least for <laughs> this year, you know, moving him to the outfield, that, that makes sense. You oh, have, man. uh, uh, Cronenworth moving to short who, you know, that you got the crone zone. He, I don't know how good he is defensively, but he's certainly very valuable offensively in that lineup. Um, and having Adam Frazier at the top just bolsters it even more. Um, you did mention pitching, which it, they probably could have done a little more to bolster that. Yeah. Um, but I mean, that's another one of those trades that just kind of makes sense because Adam Frazier has another year of control um, and the Pirates get the, is it the Padres number five prospect or the number five prospect overall? Um, One of those two, but you know, it makes sense for both sides and the Pirates aren't going to be contending anytime soon. So they might as well get something good for Frazier. Yeah. And I think they did. Yeah, the Padres, the, the Pirates did a pretty good job of uh, trading a lot of their um, the assets that are like have expiring contracts soon. They got they got some um, solid pieces for them. We'll get to a few more shortly. Um, but yeah, that was pretty much the National League West. It was just the Dodgers uh, going to get uh, probably getting the best the the best players at the deadline. Uh, the Giants getting their third baseman and the Padres, uh, despite what some people think. Uh, I think overall they had a solid deadline. Um, I was gonna say I feel like it was a little disappointing to me. Really? Just because Frazier didn't feel like a necessity. Okay, and I don't know, but, but you mentioned it, like they didn't really upgrade the rotation, which is kind of rough that they need to, but with Lamette injured, obviously Clevenger got injured last year. Like Snell has been ineffective and some of their other pieces like Morihone had Tommy John. Paddock's so they're just kind of, yeah, Paddock's been bad. They're kind of lacking not only in depth, but in front end talent right now you trust Darvish and you trust Musgrove, but that's about it. Um, and one of those guys would pitch the wild card game. So looking at a three game series, I'm not really loving the Padres pitching um, much right now. And they just didn't really do anything to address that. Even a mid to back end starter, like a uh, Kyle Gibson type or someone um, about that quality, or even getting a wild card, like the Dodgers did in Danny Duffy, someone who might come back later on and help. They just didn't do anything to address that. They did get Daniel Hudson to help the bullpen. And I guess they might believe that Blake Snell will just pop at some point, which is possible. His, his last two starts His have been good. Have been good and yeah. yeah, he has the, he obviously has the talent. His stuff's incredible. He just doesn't throw strikes. But if he starts to throw strikes, then he can be really good. It's not like he he's you know lost five miles an hour off his fastball and all of a sudden is throwing BP. He still has really good stuff. So maybe they see that and they don't really think they have to address it. But I don't know. I kind of felt like they they fell short a little bit. Yeah. Speaking about falling short, I feel like the National League Central overall fell short at the deadline. Um, the Brewers, the Reds, and the yes, even the Cardinals decided to make some moves. Um, we'll get to that in a bit. Um, with the Brewers, uh, they are—I think that uh, they were the team that everyone was expecting to kind of be a bit more active. They did acquire Eduardo Escobar from the D-backs, which yes, that'll help their lineup and uh, kind of adds to this narrative of like um, average to slightly above average players filling up their lineup. Um, but I mean, they have the three headed monster in the rotation. 
and their bullpen i mean they're the the uh the top end of their bullpen is absolute fire so i you could kind of say that they really didn't need to get another guy i mean hauser could be a a, a, ser- a serviceable fourth guy in the rotation if they need it so um despite the fact that the brewers are so quiet i really don't think they needed to make too many moves um at least moves that would uh to keep them competitive for this year and for the near future like they didn't sacrifice like any top prospects or anything um so I, I think overall especially where they are right now the division's pretty much locked up for them they didn't need to do too much what do you think what do you guys think yeah i i agree with you um and eduardo escobar will will make an impact um you know because he can play all around the infield and he'll shuffle in what has he been batting second first um i don't know exactly but uh you know, having him and Yelich in the same lineup, Yelich has been better. Um, he's still a force. Their team is built for the playoffs. They have three incredible starting pitchers and a, and a fantastic bullpen. Um, you know, that's going to keep them in games every game. And then they just need the hitters to come through with timely hits. Um, and well, they, they also made... Um, they also signed or uh, traded for Rowdy Tellez. Yeah, yeah, that was um, I want to say like early July when they did that. Yeah, so yeah. which we had all we had already covered. Um, mm-hmm. To you know, and he he takes over that kind of Daniel Vogelbach role. You know, um, you know, possible first base slash DH slash uh, pinch hit guy. So they, I, I think they just have enough impact bats on offense to score enough runs <laughs> to score more runs than their pitching is going to give up, yeah. which is very few. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I was going to say, I, I feel like you, when you're in that position with that big of a lead, you really don't want to make a big push. I only think it's worth it if it's going to help you make the playoffs and compete in the playoffs. Obviously if something pops up, that's just too good a value or maybe a guy you can control for multiple years. That makes sense but just going to get like a rental starter, like someone like Max Scherzer just makes no sense for the Brewers because they've already locked up the ticket. And once you get to the playoffs, there's enough randomness. They already have enough good starters. It's just not worth giving up a big chunk of your future. Um, and yeah, Nick, you mentioned Rowdy Tellez, but even before that, they traded for Willie Adamas. So he's been, I don't know, their best player yeah. since that trade. Yeah, he um, has been. They just, so they just kind of did a lot of their work early on in the season. And then they, yeah. they actually got Trevor Richards in that trade and flipped him for Tellez which looks like an incredible deal too. I, I feel like the Brewers are one of the best teams on the margins. They realize the Blue Jays have too many hitters. What are they going to do with Telez? They really have no spot for him, so they'd rather turn him into a reliever, even if they get less value. Brewers pick up a good first baseman. So they're always looking to make moves like that, and I feel like they're in a really, really good spot heading into the playoffs. Yeah, tons of really smart and they also moves. Did, they did pick up two relievers, not great ones, but they got John Curtis and um, Daniel yeah. Norris. Right. Yeah, which Daniel Norris in his first outing uh, couldn't get an out. I think gave up like four. Like, I, th- I think he's like the reason <laughs> he blew that lead. It was um, Adrian Hauser had a perfect uh, a no hitter going, and then he comes in and just completely wrecks it. Um, gives up four runs, doesn't get an out. But I th- uh, he was better after that though. Um, Cincinnati Reds, a team that I I think if you ask them now, they wish they did more at the deadline, uh, especially where they are in the standings. But they got Michael Givens from the Rockies. And they got Luis Sessa and Justin Wilson from the Yankees. Uh, so they improved their bullpen. Obviously, much needed uh, help there. 
but where they are right now, I'm sure they wish they did uh, a few more moves now that they're what, like two at two back of the wild card. I think three and a half. I just saw. Okay. Um, Close. Yeah. But uh, Ryan, what do you think about their deadline? Yeah, it, it was a little bit quiet, but also when you're you're that far back, it is it's tough to make a push. I mean, you guys remember the Pirates did that a few years ago, getting yeah. Archer and giving up Glasnow and Meadows, and that just yeah. fell flat on their face. So you don't want to, you know, go like, oh, we're on a hot streak in oh, July, man. we're going to make a push, and then you regret it a couple weeks later. So the Reds didn't want to make a move like that. They also have a few bigger contracts on the books. Overall, I really like what they did. I almost wish they could have made those trades even just like a month sooner. It it, it, I think it was even like a week before the, the, they made those deals that they blew two or three games late. Um, their bullpen was just really bad all season. So if they could have addressed that earlier, because um, now it looks like a real strength. Givens is well above average. Luis Sessa should be pretty good. I'm not so sure about Wilson, but he should be decent. And then they also got Michael Lorenzen back. He hadn't pitched all season. He's probably, if not their best reliever, right up there with TJ Antone, who should also be coming back soon. And all of a sudden, the Reds have one of the best bullpens in the National League didn't even mention Sean Doolittle um, or Amir Garrett, who has been up and down, but has good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I'm going to, they needed to bolster their bullpen, which they absolutely did. I just, for, for where they are financially and what they want to do financially. Um, I don't, I just, I don't think they could have made a splash like uh, the, uh, the Dodgers or the Padres or, you know, you know, one of the other teams did. And I think they just have enough uh, faith in their offense, uh, which Stockus is back. Not that I'm saying he's great, but, you know, they have enough of those impact bats where they feel confident enough that they can get possibly into the playoffs. And they've been playing very well recently. So we'll, we'll see if they can keep it up. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's been helpful that they've been, they've gotten much better outings from Luis Castillo too. I think he's been uh, um, a big yeah, reason until why yesterday he's been yeah, up until yesterday. Right. Um, <laughs> but, but Joey Votto too. Real oh, quick shout yeah, out for him. him too. He's just, he looks like prime Joey Votto. Like he's walking a bit less and strike out a bit more, but he's sacrificing that for some power, which mm-hmm. has been incredible to see. And it's just funny thinking about how the Reds offense was their weak spot last year, the year that they made the playoffs Trevor Bauer pitched in that game that they ended up losing in extras like one or two to nothing they just could not score really all season and then all of a sudden yeah now all of a sudden they have if not the best offense one of the top offenses in the league it's kind of crazy to think about yeah they they, they couldn't score any runs in the wild in the wild card series last year um yeah that was they really didn't add any bats since then like they have pretty much the same guys they're just all having much better seasons yeah uh hey the Cardinals look at them (laughs) <laughs> acquiring John Lester and J.A. Happ? This is a great move if it was 2015. Impact arms. <laughs> Yikes. I honestly, for the guys they gave up, Lane Thomas and John Gant, I would rather prefer Lane Thomas and John Gant over those two guys. Like, right, what was desperate. the theory about that? What was, like, they're both absolutely been- atrocious. Right, they they're they're that desperate for for a guy to start a game, but then just start John Gant at that point. Yeah, let him get rocked, and then you can move him back to the bullpen next year, where he's been at least mildly effective, better than a rental year of Jay Happ and John Lester. I feel like it almost would have been better to just make no moves and then just sign a couple guys out of an independent league or bring some guys up from the minors to start some games. Like it's just almost a middle finger to the fans to be like, 
oh yeah, but by the way, our two trade deadline moves are a couple of 38 year old left-hand pitchers who's have ERAs in like the mid sevens. Yeah. Like no, that it, just, it's, it's a rough pill to swallow when other teams are trading for, I don't know, Max Scherzer and you're trading for J.A. Happ. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure the, uh, um, uh, Rizzo from the nationals was like, are you, are you sure you want him? Really? And then I don't know who the G, the uh, GM is from the twins, but he was like, are you sure? J.A. Yeah, Happ, like I, really? I, I guess we'll take John Gant. And you're going to give me John Gant for him? Okay. Sure, and you're going to pay some of the salary? Yeah, like, yeah why not? <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Um, all right, so that's the National League Central. National League East, this is a fun one. Uh, the New York Mets acquired shortstop Javi Baez and uh, pitcher Trevor Williams from the Cubs in exchange for Pete Crow Armstrong. Uh, he was a first-round pick last year, or 2019, I forget. I think 2019. 2019. Okay. Uh, so the Cubs got a good haul, good haul for Baez and Williams uh, and the Mets, obviously with Lindor out right now, that's going to be so much fun. Once uh, Lindor's back having Lindor and Baez as the double play combo there for the Mets. And then Williams adds some depth right now, um, which the Mets do need. So uh, great trade for both sides. I think uh, Nick, I'll go ahead and start with you for this one. Yeah, it, I, I mean, it adds to the Cubs' vision of, you know, they last year and this year, they've been trying to get a bunch of, uh, you know, single-A guys, kind of high, high. Um, I don't want to say risk, but high-ceiling, low-floor guys. Yeah, so I guess that's risk. Um, high bus but, potential. Right, exactly. Um, and, you know, you get another one of those exciting players you know you're in new york you gotta have a dynamic uh infield and that's partially why they signed lindor to such a fat contract even though uh as all of us agreed might not be worth it um but having javi and lindor would make some exciting baseball trevor williams is decent depth whether it be you know starting or long relief or something um and then, yeah, and then and then they got cash too. So I, I think it's maybe maybe there's a theme. Maybe maybe it's just kind of how I view these. But I feel like there were a lot of high profile trades that actually made sense. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, which we'll you know we'll see how that they actually pan out in a few years. But um, I see this as as one of those as well. Yeah, and also the Mets acquired Rich Hill, but this was like a few weeks prior to the deadline too. So. So there you go. They got Baez, Williams, and Hill. Uh, Ryan? Yeah, well, first of all, I guess I, this is the time to say that I was wrong about the Cubs' plan this deadline. I really didn't see them trading Baez or Rizzo, which we'll get to Rizzo in a little bit, but they both did get traded, which was unexpected to me just because I didn't know if they could get enough to justify giving them up compared to what they would get if they kept them for the rest of the season and just got the draft pick when they left. Um, but Pete Crow Armstrong with a top 20 or so draft pick, I think. Um, so I'm, that seems to be a safer bet and probably more valuable than the draft pick. So if you're able to get a guy like that, it makes sense for the Cubs. Um, and for the Mets, it's, it's kind of funny. They, they almost got the full effect of Javi Baez within the first week. He had a big home run in his first game. I think he might have homered again recently after that. Yeah. Then he had a crazy, crazy slide at home plate where he – avoids the catcher's yeah. tag he should have been out makes a ridiculous slide and he's safe 
And then the next game, he goes over five with five strikeouts. So that's just what you're going to get from <laughs> Javi. There's, there's going to be a lot of crazy cool plays and there's going to be a lot of strikeouts. Yep. Yeah, exactly. That was like a little, uh, a little like, like preview of what you're going to get from Javi Baez for the next uh, um, couple months, especially if they sign him long-term, we'll see what that happens or not. Um, the Phillies. They made uh, they made a couple smaller moves here and there, but their big one was acquiring both Kyle Gibson and Ian Kennedy uh, from the Rangers in exchange for Spencer Howard. He was headlining the deal there. They're um, uh, one of their top pitching prospects. there, heading back to the Rangers. I like this move a lot, especially considering where the Phillies are now. Uh, yeah, Gibson, his first start with the with the Phillies was phenomenal. I know there was a lot of worry about him kind of tailing off as the second half began. And then uh, Ian Kennedy, who was closing games for the Rangers, uh, will be a much, much, much uh, welcomed. So I actually kind of like what the Braves did. Um, you know, their outfield was probably one of the worst in baseball. And uh, they needed to make moves. You know, with the loss of Acuna was huge, but they're still trying to make the playoffs clearly. Um and bats like Solaire, Duvall, uh, and Jock, you know, kind of match that masher status. Obviously, it's not possible to replace Acuna, uh, but they did their best. And I don't think they gave up a ton in any of those moves. And, you know, Eddie Rosario, you know, he's been bad, but I would, I would trade him. They gave up Pablo Sandoval. I would trade him, Pablo Sandoval for Eddie Rosario. Oh, no doubt. Any day. Any day of the week. Any day of the week. Yeah. Um, and they, they like most playoff teams, needed relief help. So they got a great setup guy in Richard Rodriguez. So I like their moves. Um, and, you know, and it, it's already showing because they're seven and three in their last 10, and they've overtaken the Mets for second place. And they're two games back of the Phillies who have been red hot. So we'll, you know, we'll see how the NL East is about as close as we thought it was going to be down the stretch, which is exciting. Yeah. It's been the, the best mediocre division in baseball. <laughs> um, and, <laughs> and uh, a bunch of these players that were acquired are honestly, you know, they're mediocre to good. Honestly, like if you look at the, uh, all the players that are acquired, Rich Hill, Kyle Gibson, Jorge Soler, Adam Duvall, Jock Peterson, Eddie Rosario, Javi Baez. These are all guys that have shown signs of like being good, but for the most part are, you know, kind of average. average. Yeah. Yeah. I was uh, going to say, I, I feel like this, especially what the Braves just did, it reminds me so much of what the Indians over the years did not do outside of the one year they did trade for Puig and Fran Mil Reyes. But most years they just went into the playoffs or at least the, the pennant run stretch with one of the worst outfields in baseball. And there's just no excuse for that because as you guys were just mentioning, a lot of these players who were traded are average players. And when you have one of the worst outfields in the league, average players are a big upgrade. But the reason they're so cheap is because all the other contenders obviously have good players at most positions and so don't really need an average bat because they already have one or they have a star there or something. So when you have a major, major weakness, even getting average players is a big upgrade and teams are usually looking to unload those guys. So very smart by the Braves to try to patch this. If it doesn't work, they're all gone. It doesn't really matter. So it's not like you gave up many or much in terms of prospects. It's not like you're paying them much. There's no long-term commitments. Um, and, and all of a sudden, the Mets lose a bunch of games and you're right back in the race. 
Um, I'm a little bit worried about their center field defense. None of these guys are really center fielders. They've been playing jock there. I'm not sure how that's going to go. And do you really want him playing every day against lefties? So I guess they have Guillermo Heredia who can play center, but then you have two of these bats on the bench. So um, it'll be interesting to see how they mix and match, but it's a lot better than having to start Guillermo Heredia and um, Abraham Almonte and Orlando Arcia every day. Yeah. Well, if they, if they really cared about defense and they would throw Pache in there. Yeah, that is another option. So, you know, he's he's kind of their, I suppose, defensive backup of Chuck Peterson. <laughs> mm-hmm. So. Love it. So, yeah, those are all the National League moves. Let's move on to the American League. Let's start with the AL West. The Swingin' A's. They went ahead and acquired Jan Gomes, Josh Harrison, Starling Marte, and Andrew Chafin. Um, clearly the, uh, most surprising, I think this is one of the most surprising, uh, trades of the deadline was the Starling Marte for Jesus Lazardo deal. Uh, first mind. of all, yeah. first of all, it was mind blowing that the A's even acquired a guy like Starling Marte. It's not usually like their thing to acquire, um, you know, <laughs> really good players when it comes to the trade deadline. But when I saw the return, that's what I think blew everyone's mind. Jesus Lazardo, uh, still a, a very highly regarded prospect. Um, yeah, he struggled this year, no doubt about it. But to give him up right now for a half season of Starling Marte is just absolutely ridiculous. And it's just so anti what the Oakland A's usually do. Uh, don't get me wrong. This would have been surprising if, if, like, if the Cubs had Lazardo and traded him. Like, yeah, it would have been surprising. But the fact that the A's did that is what is what really blew my mind. Uh, shout out to to uh, Kim Eng from the Marlins for pulling this deal off. Like I'm sure as soon as as soon as, soon as that this uh, proposal came across her table, she's like, "Yeah, I have. We have to do this, no matter what. We have to." Um, Ryan, I'll get your I'll get you started with uh, your analysis on the A's and their deadline. Yeah, I think this to me is the best trade of the deadline for one of the sellers. I love the Marlins getting Lozardo. Um, <clears throat> kind of like we mentioned with Spencer Howard, it's possible that, you know, the, the A's saw something in him this year that they felt like his struggles were going to be more long-term than his success that he had a few years before this. Um, but he just is so talented and throws ridiculous stuff um, that you can see where um, those high prospect ratings came from and why a lot of teams think he could be really good. My question for the A's is, so essentially the reason they were willing to give him up is because the Marlins paid are paying Starling Marte's entire salary for the rest of the year. Um, but then if you're saving that money, I feel like they needed to do a little bit more than just Jan Gomes and Josh Harrison, who are good additions um, and Chapin for the bullpen. I would have loved to see them make a, a one more kind of bigger move to really make a run at the division, because it seems like at that point, they're really going for one more push with this core. Um, and if you have to give up a little bit more of the future to have a shot at a real series rather than another wild card game, I think it might've been worth it for Oakland, especially if you're saving that money on Marte. Um, and what we mentioned before, now they're going to lose Floriano for 80, 80 games. So getting Marte is huge in that regard as well. Um, and they, they still do have a chance for the division. I just would have liked to see one more move with that, with giving up someone as good as Lozardo for their future. Yeah, definitely yeah. agree. Yeah. I'm, I'm a little confused 
I guess Jan Gomes is a decent catcher to have, but you know, they already have Sean Murphy. Um, so not a ton of upgrade, you know, I guess they could, they could split time. Uh, Josh Harrison fits nicely in that infield. I mean, um, Elvis Andrews has been terrible. Um, yeah. And, and with Loriano going down, Starling Marte is a nice addition and it kind of offsets a little bit of the surprise, uh, of giving up Luzardo. Uh, and then, and then, uh, Chafin from the Cubs is a, a good addition. You know, every team, every playoff team needs a good bullpen. Um, and he's been, he's been pretty stellar this year. So I think the Cubs did well in, in their return for him as well. Uh, so kind of, kind of one of the more confusing, uh, tr- not, not, uh, more confusing teams. More so I, because I, they, do you guys think maybe that they, the only reason they were able to even get Marte in the first place is just that they had to, or they didn't have a salary to even take that on. So maybe the Marlins almost kind of stronghold them of like, if you're going to make us pay all this money, the only way you're getting this player is giving us someone as good as Lazardo. Could be. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I like, like I, I, I've been going back and forth. Like maybe they saw something that they, they were just like, we're done with you and we'll just give you like, mm-hmm. <laughs> well, well, the 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 public will get go the nuts. best player we can right now. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's a lot of different possible mm-hmm. angles to it, so it'll be fun to watch how Lazardo does in Miami going forward. And and they're they already had so many good young pitchers. Just mm-hmm. dreaming on the Marlins 2024 rotation is it, it could be really special. Obviously, that that's a huge if, and everyone said that about the 2015 Mets, and that didn't really ever pan out fully. Um, DeGrom is incredible, but otherwise they didn't really have that four-headed monster everyone was talking about. So we'll see, but I don't know, thinking about Trevor Rogers and Alcantara and Pablo Lopez and Sixto Sanchez and Jesus Lazardo and Braxton Garrett. I mean, it just goes on and on and on and on. So the Marlins can find any offense. They're looking pretty good for the next five or six years. Yep. The Houston Astros, they made some interesting moves, nothing too big. But they were able to acquire uh, Yimmy Garcia from the Marlins, and they also got Kendall Graveman um, and Rafael Montero too. But that Kendall Graveman trade, uh, while yeah, it, it's a good move. Graveman was a great closer for the, for the Seattle Mariners, but I feel like this trade made more uh, made more of a headline in Seattle than it did in Houston. Uh, I, I guess we can kind of combine the Astros and the Marlins and the Mariners right now. But uh, the Mariners, they <laughs> um, so hold on, wait, wait, before we do that. Kendall Graveman signed on a one-year deal with the Mariners ends up being an absolute stud then gets after a big win, a big walk-off win when the Mariners had a bunch of momentum, he gets traded to the Astros, the the team that they were playing and who was also in front of them in the standings as well. Um, Mariners fans and most importantly, Mariners players go absolutely insane. They're like, why why are you, why are we, uh, dismantling the team right now, especially Kendall Graveman, a guy who's done so much uh, to get us to where we are now. Why are we trading him? And not only just trading him, but trading him to our division rival who we're currently chasing and currently playing. So that did not sit well, but I think we all knew here that this was going to be followed up by other moves, which brings me to, um, first of all, the player that they got in, uh, back, um, one of the guys they got back, Abraham Toro, has been making an immediate impact, which is always nice. I'm sure that kind of saw it from the blow for Mariners fans. But then the Mariners went ahead and acquired Diego, Diego, uh, Diego Castillo from the Rays, who is now going to be their closer. 
And um, ultimately what, what they did was that they gave up a, was it a half season of Graveman for yes. multiple years of control of Toro and multiple years of control of Diego Castillo, who is, if not better, about equal as Kendall Graveman is. So they, uh, so in the end, it's a genius move, but it just took some patience to kind of see what, what, what the Mariners were exactly doing. Because not only are they set now for, for now, but for the next three, four years, which is awesome to see. Yeah, I, I was say I, I, go ahead, Ryan. For sure. I was going to say, I feel like to me, the Mariners had, if not the, the best deadline, one of the best. Oh, I wow. think this was a really incredible job by DePoto. Um, it didn't look good when they traded Graveman, but we all know that fans get over that really quick. And the Mariners were looking at what, like a negative 50 run differential at the time. They've already started to drop off in the standings. Everyone knew they weren't really contending, but DePoto had to kind of keep up that we're not going to throw in the towel thing, but he had this ridiculous trade ship in Graveman. So what do you do? How do you stay competitive, replace Kendall Graveman, but also get value for him and not let him just walk at the end of the season. He somehow turns that into five years of a potentially above average second or third baseman in Toro. If you haven't seen Toro's minor league numbers, definitely go look them up. They're really, really good. This guy could actually be like a, a legitimate piece for them for five years. That's an incredible return. I, I feel like I didn't realize it right when I saw the name and he's kind of struggled with the Astros at first. So you kind of think, Oh, Toro, not that great of a piece, but he really could be. Um, and then getting multiple years of Diego Castillo, he could um, fall off relievers at any time could, but right now his numbers are almost as good as Graveman, and you got multiple years of control. So they're set up just as well, if not better for the future. We didn't even mention too, that they got Joe Smith back from the Astros who, isn't nearly as good as those other relievers, but is still a serviceable reliever. So they actually added an arm to their bullpen for this year, in addition to extending the longevity of their potential run once Kalanick starts to figure things out and Julio Rodriguez comes up and Logan Gilbert settles in, some of their other pitching prospects come up. I think they realize their window is the next couple of years and they set themselves up perfectly while hopefully not pissing off their fans too much. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then went ahead and acquired Tyler Anderson as well. So, um, yeah, overall, fantastic, fantastic deadline by the Mariners. Uh, it's it looked like it was going to be a complete, um, uh, just a complete mess to, mm-hmm. for, for for lack yeah. of a better word. Uh, and then yeah, so, overall, it ended up turning into a really really cool deadline for them. So the one, the one thing I want to point out, um, you mentioned Abraham Toro, five years of control. Kyle Seager is a free agent after this season, so. They just mm-hmm. got their hopefully third baseman of the next five years, which is for the return or, or for what they gave up is just astronomical. Yeah, yeah exactly. I, like I'm, sh- I'm sure Depoto was sitting in his office at the after that big, you know, walk off win, all the momentum, and he was like, "Oh man, I'm about to like destroy some hearts, but just be patient, just be patient." Um, that must have been so tough to do, but overall, I mean. It's a business. Yeah. In the end, it's a business. And yeah. Uh, yeah, the emotional side of it will hurt for a little bit. Um, this one hurt a little bit more than most, but in the long run, it'll benefit them. So, Are you guys surprised that the Astros didn't do more? They got a pretty quiet deadline overall, and the A's yeah. are kind of on their heels a little bit. Um, I feel but... like they didn't have a ton of financial flexibility, probably. Um, and they really don't have a ton of obvious needs, but it just felt a little bit quiet from Houston. Yeah, like, but at the same time, it's like they don't need any rotation help. They already have enough guys that they're already Mm -hmm. kicking out of the rotation. They adjust their bullpen, 
And then, I mean, they're, they have their core in that middle of the lineup just doing what they're doing. Uh, maybe they get Bregman back soon. But, uh, I mean, hell, they even tra- they traded away their starting center fielder, you know? Like, they were even able to, to um, subtract from their starting lineup as it is right now to get, uh, to, uh, to get a deal done. So um, That was yeah. a pretty surprising move. I'm, Very, yeah. I, I'm not sure about trading straw during contention when you don't really have a true replacement i guess they're gonna play Chaz mccormick there from mm-hmm. now on but that yeah. i'm not i'm not really sure that's a, another deal that i really liked for for cleveland actually getting five or six years of straw yep and he could he could be valuable too you know he's he, absolutely he has shown super glimpses, fast gl- right incredibly fast and he's shown glimpses of <laughs> i'm gonna use this word loosely but increased power um from what was zero power to now not zero power yep so i i think that they, not i'm not saying he's going to be a, a a masher he's not going to hit tons of home runs but he could prove to be valuable for the for the indians who is another team that consistently has outfield struggles so not and they, a, not and a they got team. him for uh for phil maton who's just like a mediocre reliever um Astros just really wanted to address that bullpen and they got three relievers, but yeah, I'm not sure about giving up um, a guy like straw. Yeah. Uh, Ale central really just one team we're going to talk about here. Cause it's really only one team that made some uh, um, uh, aside from the Indians getting, getting straw <laughs> uh, made significant moves. White Sox, they go across town to get Craig Kimbrell which <laughs> I remember when I saw this, I was just, as I'm sure you guys were too, just super confused. Like, wait, you already have Liam Hendricks, who's the arguably the best reliever in all of baseball. Um, and now you're going to get Craig Kimbrell, who's likely going to go into the hall of fame for how many saves he has. Uh, the White Sox gave up Nick Madrigal and Cody Hoyer, which uh, don't get me wrong. They'll be great, great pieces for the cup for the Cubs in the, in the um, Madrigal in the near future. And, uh, and I, I guess Hoyer too, but um, it, it was, it's just really weird to me that you have Craig Kimbrough, who's literally just trying to rack up as many saves as he can. And then he goes to the White Sox, a team where he might not get consistent saves for a year and a half. Um, I, I don't know. Th- this move really confused me, but at the same time, I know for the postseason, you need a great bullpen and, um, and, uh, Liam Hendricks has said, yeah, I'll pitch forever. Like if you need me to start a game to be an opener, I'll be an opener. If you need me to close a game, I'll close a game. If you need me to like, you know, scoop up innings in the, in the fifth inning of a, of a blowout, not that they'd ever put him there, but he said he'd be willing to do that, which is nice. Um, but despite that, it looks like they've been using, uh, Hendricks still in that closer role and Kimbrell a bit more in like that, uh, bridge, uh, bridge role. So, um, I guess I, I can mention the other two deals real quick. Uh, they also got Ryan Tapera from the Cubs as well, and they also got Cesar Hernandez from the Indians. Um, so White Sox did what they needed to do overall, I, I think. Nick, what do you think? Um, I feel like I, and maybe this is this is just because of my soft spot for David Fletcher, but I'm I'm really not happy that they gave up Madrigal, um, who has uh, five five years of control uh, for Kimbrell, who yes, is one of the greatest relievers ever. Um, but they all, you know, and Cody Hoyer, I, I really thought the White Sox bullpen was actually pretty solid. Um, and, you know, 
and they they got to pair up. I guess they they replaced Magical with with Hernandez, which I'm I'm gonna look and see um, how many years of control Caesar Hernandez has left, um, or not not control, but uh, his con. Okay, so 2022 club option. So I guess. I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm letting my feelings for magical come into play, but uh, I think overall they did what they needed to do, like you said. But uh, I, I I I don't like the giving up magical and even Hoyer, who's a young bullpen arm who's shown good stuff for Kimbrel. I'm not a fan of that move. Ryan, a, a, a different opinion? Yeah, I do. I, I I like it for the White Sox. I think. It almost feels like we think about bullpens as like a closer and then everyone else. But I think teams look at it more as just having a bunch of pitchers out there. So you want just as many of the best ones as you can. And in the playoffs, if you can imagine three innings being covered by those guys in a close game, your starter only has to go, I don't know, four at that point. And then you have a bunch of bridge guys. Cecil will be in the bullpen. You have, you have Aaron Bummer. We mentioned they traded for Tapera. So many options to bridge the gap. The White Sox are looking at a chance to – throw essentially elite arms in every single inning of the playoffs. We've seen other teams try to mix and match and throw average guys bridging their starters to their closers. I think the White Sox are looking at it as we can just have someone elite out there all the time. And we're willing to give up a premium to do that. Not to mention what they'll have Kimbrell again next year. This is not a rental. Um, I wonder if you mentioned that Liam Hendricks has talked about being willing to go into different roles i'm wondering if they switch it up for the playoffs let kimbrell be that closer that he's always been and have Hendricks be the actual fireman coming in in different stressful situations and pitching five outs or opening a game or whatever they feel like will give them the best chance just because he has done that and he's comfortable with it and he's been successful and then have kimbrell in that back end I, i i just wonder which way they'll go um in the playoffs it'll be fun to watch but either way they're going to have um, elite arms. And uh, real quick before we move on, a thought about the Cubs end. At first, I didn't love the move for them just because, to me, the timelines don't really match up so well with their other trades. When they traded Darvish, when they traded Brian, a lot of these other guys, they're getting teenagers back. So it almost felt like they were going to do the whole 2013 thing over again and just be really bad for a few years and then try to win again. But then they got Nick Madrigal, who's, what, 24 already, something like that. Um, He's maybe even 25. And so is he going to be a part of your next contending team? That almost signifies that they're going to try to compete while they rebuild. So as long as the Cubs are committed to trying to win for the next few years, I think getting Madrigal is a great return. But if they're going to actually rebuild, and not try to put a contending team on the field. I'm not sure why you waste a bunch of years of Nick Madrigal and not and just get younger prospects at that point because every team wanted Craig Kimbrell. Yeah, yeah. Nick Madrigal turns uh, 25 in March. So there you go. Yeah. Yep. Uh, yeah, that, that's really we, should, we should we should mention too that Nick Madrigal is injured right now. So like if if, right. if Madrigal didn't have that knee injury and was playing games right now, I really don't think the White Sox trade their starting second baseman. They, and then they don't even trade for Cesar Hernandez. They probably just go a different direction or offer a different package for Kimbrel. But because of the injury, because they're trying to win right now, because he can't help them, they felt like the best value out of Madrigal was to to move him for Kimbrel. I guess. Yep. Yeah. Definitely. 
Um, so it was just really cool to see like a, yet another few trades done by the Cubs and Sox. Uh, I think it's been happening a lot more lately. But uh, AL East, this is the fun one. Yankees, Blue Jays, and Red Sox, uh, and, and the Rays were, uh, were all active. Uh, the Orioles must have felt so left out. But the Yankees, oh my goodness, what a deadline. They acquire Andrew Heaney from the Angels, Anthony Rizzo from the Cubs, Joey Gallo from the Rangers, and uh, that was really about it. Um, but Rizzo has made an immediate impact. My goodness. I, I'm sure they weren't. weren't uh, I, I really thought Rizzo was going to end up going to the Red Sox. So, um, And I think the Yankees kind of saw that, too, that they were going to improve at first base. Uh, and instead, they kind of swooped in and got him instead. Uh, I'm telling you, it's, it's really weird seeing Joey Gallo without a beard. He looks, he looks so different with that one. <laughs> Um, he hasn't really kind of put it together yet, but, uh, just give it some time. He was starting to really mess with the Rangers, but, uh, yeah, I think the Yankees did exactly what they needed to do with their, um, with their lineup and it's acquire a couple lefties that mash. They were really missing that. And, uh, those two guys, I mean, Rizzo, they have for the rest of this year in Gallo. I, I, I didn't even realize until the, uh, until he was traded that he's actually going to be there next year as well. Uh, especially considering what they gave up, um, Really, I mean, for to the Cubs, it was just a bunch of uh, 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 right-handed pitching prospect and an outfield prospect. Uh, the uh, was it the outfield prospect Alcantara, who should be who should project to be kind of decent, or was it the pitcher? I forget. I think it, I think it was Alcantara. They, Alcantara. He was another one of those like those teenagers who you might never hear from again, and he might end up being really good. Just a, yeah. a lottery ticket. Yeah. Um, I, it's funny the, the guy that they gave up for Heaney, um, the right-handed pitcher, Jansen junk. <laughs> what a name Jansen junk. Uh, but I think considering the pieces that they got, they didn't really give up too much. Like they didn't have to really break into, uh, like the top five guys in their farm. Like they could have just, uh, uh, they, they got so much better, not just for this year, but for next year with, since they're keeping Gallo and they're still able to maintain their core of, of top prospects, which is really neat. Um, Nick, I'll go, I'll go to you first for thoughts on the Yankees. Um, I, I, I like what they did, especially with the hitters. Um, like you said, they needed the lefty mashers, uh, Rizzo and Gallo Rizzo has made an immediate impact. Um, and Gallo will continue to make an impact not only this year, but next year. Uh, they also got Joely Rodriguez, which, as I've mentioned multiple times, they, every T every playoff team needs a uh, good bullpen depth. Uh, I like the, the Andrew Heaney trade for the angels. <laughs> um, he's just, I, I don't know if I've said this on the pod before, but he is the most frustrating pitcher I have ever watched in my entire life um, because he's got incredible stuff. He's got, you know, lefty pitcher, uh, 94 fastball got a got a nice uh wipeout i i would call it a slurve but you know he has he has these flashes where he'll go seven scoreless he'll just cruise and then he'll have games where he just absolutely blows up and it's and you never it could be against any team he could do back-to-back -back starts he'll pitch against the royals who suck and you know he could go the first time eight innings, easy 78 pitches. He'll cruise through face him five days later, and then he'll go one and two thirds and just blow up. So 
get him out of there. Angels don't need him anymore. Um, which I get, you know, maybe I should have mentioned this during the AL West segment, but um, I I don't mind that the Angels didn't make a lot of moves. I don't really think there was anything for them to do. Um, it a lot of people thought Rysel Iglesias was going to be on the move. I think they're going to sign him to a couple year contract at the end of the season. He likes playing. He has gotten better. I'm looking at his at his Fangraphs page, uh, and he's gotten better every single year and I think he fits in very well and so uh, going back to the Yankees good moves and little angels plus there <laughs> Ryan love love that we got the little sneak peek for the angels um, of course always right we need we need the next thoughts on the angels um <laughs> Yeah, I, I I agree though. I, I like what the Yankees did. I think that where they're at in the standings, adding a couple left-handed bats to a right-handed heavy lineup could be the difference in making the playoffs and not. And like you said, they didn't give up a ton of prospects and they aren't paying much of these contracts, which is pretty incredible to get the bats that they did to improve their, their lineup. Um, I think they are maybe two or three games out of the playoffs right now. They're competing with Toronto, Boston, Oakland, and Tampa's a little bit ahead, but I guess could fall off potentially. Um, So they're one of the teams that are right in there. They're going to need their pitching to come back and be healthy, but they have probably just as good a shot as Toronto and maybe even Boston at this point. Um, And adding, adding those bats should be helpful. One thing I will mention is I'm surprised another team didn't come in and make good enough offer to get Luke Voigt off the Yankees and maybe the Yankees kind of realized teams were probably trying to poach him while he was at his lowest trade value possible. He had been Mm -hmm. having a terrible season. The Yankees don't need him for the rest of the season with Rizzo at first and Stanton at DH. They just have so many guys who, who they would also like to rotate in those spots. Um, So maybe they just, you know, didn't Mm -hmm. want to sell him at his lowest. But I, I, I'm just very surprised another team who needed a, a masher either at DH or first base didn't go try to get Luke Voigt. Yeah, that was, Boyd, that was an Luke interesting Boyd one. Was a free agent in, in 2025. So, yeah, that's, that's a really good oh, wow. point, Ryan. Yeah, I feel like he might be one of those uh, off-season deals um, that uh, try to give like give him some playing time right now, re- try to like rebuild his value and then see what they can get for him at the um, in the off-season. Yeah, um, it's weird. I was thinking, like, should, should the Yankees have gotten a, a, a rotation arm? But they have a lot of guys that are going to be coming back soon, which it, um, I mean, it, I guess it'll be like an acquisition, um, you know, just from getting those guys back from injury. So, um, yeah, overall, Yankees, I think, are in a good spot. Blue Jays, wow. Um, so they got Joaquin Sawyer from the D backs, and then they got Jose Barrios from the Twins. <laughs> For Austin Martin and Simeon Woods Richardson, two prospects that I I did know the names of before they were traded. Um, wow, uh, kind of an overpay, some are saying, but uh, and it was weird because I thought the Twins might have held on to him and try to like you know kind of just uh, um, call twenty twenty one a fluke and then just go for it again in twenty twenty two. But now that they traded Barrios, I mean. I, I don't know. It's it, it, A rebuild might be coming for the Twins soon, but Austin Martin and Woods Richardson, they're both guys that could make an impact on the Twins rather uh, sooner rather than later. Um, I would say when you get a package that good, you can't say no. Yeah. 
Yeah. So, I mean, but once again, what's needed for the Blue Jays? I mean, aside mm-hmm. from Robbie Ray okay. and Ryu, uh, they needed a third guy in there that was uh, just nails and they got him. Um, yeah, overall, love this move for the Jays. Their offense didn't need any help. <laughs> uh, and then, um, yeah, and they got Soria to supplement the bullpen. So overall, really good move for the Blue Jays, uh, this trade deadline. Any any other thoughts before we move on to the Red Sox? Yeah, yeah I have a, you go first. <laughs> um, I'm kind of surprised, again, wrong division, but now that we bring up the Twins, I'm kind of surprised there wasn't more chatter or, or possible movement for Buxton, Byron Buxton. Um, because... If the, you know, what, with the Jose Barrios, this move kind of signals that they're kind of punting a couple of years. Right. Um, but Buxton is a free agent after next year. So, yeah, I don't know. Now that I, now that I think about it a little more, maybe he's not a trade deadline piece. Maybe he's an off season dead or an off season trade piece. I think so. You know, that, that way you can kind of analyze it a little more, whereas like the chaos of the trade deadline can kind of sweep things up a little bit. And they could, I think they felt that they were probably going to get burned. Um, so now that I think about it a little more, it kind of makes sense. Uh, going back to the Blue Jays, um, Joaquim Soria, decent pickup. You know, he's, he's an established reliever, not having the best year, but uh, you know, you can never have too many bullpen arms and yeah, great, great, great. Wait, great return. Oh man. Great return for the twins for Burrios. I was going to say for the blue Jays, but they, they need pitching. Um, so they were willing to pay the premium. Ryan. Yeah. I, so I think last time we were on, I was the only person who said the blue Jays were going to make the playoffs. Out of us, um, Wasn't yeah, that one yeah, of your questions? I, I, yeah, I think you did. Uh, yeah, yeah I think I, I had so them. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, t- I took the Blue Jays, but I also am a little bit surprised, and I got to give them some credit in believing in their own team because I think going after Barrios and giving up two incredibly good prospects was really the ballsiest move of the whole deadline. Because if you're not going to get value out of Barrios in this pennant run in this playoff season. I really don't think this deal is worth it. I only really think it's worth it if he's giving you innings in October this year and then pitching for you all of next year and hopefully into another postseason run. Um, It was just a ton to give up, but the Blue Jays really did need to stabilize the rotation. You think about it now, though, with that offense, probably the best in all of baseball, and then you're throwing out Robbie Ray, game one, Barrios game two, Ryu game three. Ryu was their number one starter last year and really their only ace. Now he'd be starting game three. They upgraded the bullpen. As you mentioned, Brad Hand also should be better down mm-hmm. the stretch than he's mm-hmm. been recently. Yep. Um, Romano has been good. And yeah, you mentioned that they picked up Soria. So that's at least a few arms. They'll probably move Stripling to the bullpen. Um, so I, I think things are looking up for the Blue Jays. And if I'm one of the top AL teams, this is the team that I do not want to make it. Like if I'm looking at a wildcard team that could make it all the way to the World Series, it's absolutely the Blue Jays. I would much rather face the Yankees or the Red Sox or even Oakland uh, than Toronto. Toronto is super, super scary. Yeah, they're trending up big time right now. Big time. Yeah, yep. yeah I totally I totally glossed over uh, Brad Hand. That's yeah, a, me that's too. Another, yeah, it, 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 was, it was a big pickup. Yeah, it was in the agenda and I missed it. Yeah. Um, yeah, so Brad, yeah, Hand and Soria, they got for their bullpen. Wow, solid move. 
Absolutely. Yeah, I think we'll so we were talking about the team that missed out on Anthony Rizzo. Uh, the Red Sox, they were heavily linked to him. Kind of surprised he didn't end up going there. And I think I'm even more surprised that the Red Sox ended up not even acquiring a first baseman at all. Uh, instead, they went ahead and acquired Kyle Schorber, who's injured right now from the Nationals, and Hansel Robles from the Minnesota Twins. Overall, a very underwhelming deadline. And uh, I think it doesn't help the fact that the Red Sox have been kind of on a free fall the last couple of weeks. So I'm sure now they're definitely kicking, kicking themselves that they didn't make any more moves. Um, they do get Chris sale back on Saturday from injury. So that'll be a nice little big, a uh, bit of a boost for them. But overall I was expecting more from the Red Sox. Uh, Ryan, what, what about, what do you think? Yeah, I think so too. They almost feel like the opposite of the blue Jays, a team that's trending down, didn't make that big move at the deadline, but I can also understand why they wouldn't want to push in because kind of like the Mariners, not nearly to the same extent, but there was obviously a bit of fool's gold with the, with the Red Sox first half. We knew that their pitching wasn't going to be this good. They had built themselves such a big lead that they could afford a bit of a fall off, but it's been a little more drastic than I think they thought and obviously hoped for. Um, but they are still in an okay spot. They would make the playoffs if it ended today. I, I did hear Schwarber on his rehab assignment got re-injured though, a different injury. So that's, rough i guess they were going to try to transition him to first base also could mm. yeah could be risky mm. at, uh, making a guy play a new position um, especially one as important as first base um so we'll see how all of that pans out but yeah it, it kind of feels like the, we're just kind of waiting for the red sox to be overtaken by the jays or the yankees or or someone like that there's just a few too many holes on this roster um compared to some of those other teams yeah, I know Nick and I were ready to send to uh, send twenty bucks over to you, but we might hold off on that a little bit. <laughs> not having, so fast, Mr. Yeah, not so fast. They're having that collapse you were talking about. I was gonna about. say, well, watch, them, watch them lose like twenty out of twenty five or something and finish like seventy nine and eighty one. Oh god, oh, that would be wonderful. <laughs> uh, that that would be that'd be brutal. I, I don't see that quite happening. And getting sail back should help, but yeah, they are in a much worse spot than they were a, a few weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Nick, any thoughts on uh, the Red Sox and their lack of moves? Mm, yeah, I, I'm a little surprised that, that they didn't try to do more for a starting pitching. You know, I, I feel like Kyle Gibson might have slotted in pretty well. Because um, is Kyle Gibson right-handed or left-handed? Ready. He is righty. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, he, he wouldn't necessarily get hurt as much uh, as a left-hander would by the green monster so you know i it's just one of those they probably tried to get gibson but just didn't offer a good enough package um and i don't think let me see what their farm system rating is but they probably weren't willing to give up nearly as much as the blue jays were for burrios um, I just think that they, they feel like they're in the position where they're hitting, they, they have that strong hitting core, JD Martinez, um, uh, uh, why am I blanking? Uh, Devers and Bogarts, the shortstop and Bogarts, Bogarts, where they don't necessarily like this year, they do feel they're a playoff team. I'm not going to say for sure, but they're a playoff team. But 
maybe they just think they can improve a little more during the off season and give it another shot next year. If things don't pan out the way they want it to. Yeah. 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 That's a, that's a really good point. Um, and also I'm sure the Red Sox didn't envision themselves going on this free fall uh, for as extended of a period of time that it's been. Um, yeah. I have, I have no doubt they'll, they'll, I mean, they, they can't be this bad for the rest of the year. Um, but yeah, uh, yeah, I, I would have loved to see them acquire at least another starting arm to kind of just give that like, all right, we know we're getting sale back. We know we've been relying on a bunch of guys who haven't been known to be <laughs> um, sustainable arms. Uh, so I, it would have been nice to see them get another piece there. But um, but it, it felt like a lot of the big the big um, arms were kind of as they were falling off the board. I remember I was thinking like, all right, the Padres have to do something at some point. And I'm like, all right, the Red Sox have to do something at some point. They have to get like a starter. And then all these arms just kept falling off the board. And it was like, all right, at this point, you know, whatever guy you're going to get, it's not going to make much of a difference. So Red Sox rolling the dice with, with, with what they got. And uh, another team that's rolling the dice with, with what they got Tampa Bay Rays. They made that big move uh, earlier in the week of the of deadline week to get Nelson Cruz, which we, we talked about on this podcast already, but I really thought this was going to be the, the deadline where uh, kind of similar to the, what the A's did where they were pretty aggressive. I thought they'd be doing something similar. Uh, I didn't think that Nelson Cruz would be their only move. I really thought that they were going to, you know, move Rich Hill to New York to get someone else. Um, but it seems like they're pretty comfortable with what they have already. And getting Wander Franco in the middle of the year was kind of like an acquisition, even though he hasn't quite panned out yet. But uh, Nelson Cruz was a guy that I, 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 I've been wanting to go to Tampa for a long time already. Um, I just really was hoping they would supplement it with at least one more move, but they seem pretty content with with uh, what they have now, and unlike the Red Sox, they've been they've been on a on a high streak lately to the point where now they're leading the division. Um, any notes? Any more notes on the on the Rays? I know we talked about them before already with this move, uh, Ryan. Yeah, quick thought on Tampa Bay. Um, well, first of all, I think we all kind of saw this coming. We all a few weeks ago said that Tampa Bay would win this division. Um, they clearly look like one of the better teams in the league. I kind of have contradictory feelings right now about their deadline, just because, like you said, I wish they had made another big move. It feels like they're in a position right now with this cheap, good core that they could supplement it. They have so many prospects. They're always in the top five. I think they're in the top three still right now in their farm system, if you would include Franco. Um, so they just have so many pieces that they could deal away. But at the same time, having said that, there's no team that I trust more in baseball to make good decisions than the Rays. I trust the Dodgers more to be good just because they have a lot more money. But in terms of knowing exactly what their process is, trusting their process and just executing it to near perfection, there's no team better than Tampa Bay. And so when they trade Diego Castillo and don't upgrade their bullpen and only get back JT Chargois and a prospect, I'm not saying that that move specifically is going to work out, but when Tampa makes a move like that eight times out of 10, it works out. Um, they're going to get burned a few times, but most of their moves work out. Um, and they have so many different pieces. We've mentioned a, a bunch on the podcast before, but I mean, Matt, Matt Whistler, the guy I keep bringing up is still getting big outs for them. JT Chargois will get big outs for them. It almost doesn't matter who the players are because they're so good at putting their players in the position um, to succeed. They're so good at mixing and matching their bullpen, their lineup. Um, mm -hmm. So they, when you look at their, their roster, you might be like, how is this team possibly in first place? But when you think about how they're deployed, um, the Rays just do it to near perfection and it, it, it wins games. 
more than anyone else in MLB, the Rays do uh, bulk relievers the best. They have so many interchangeable arms that can go, mm-hmm. you know, anywhere between one and four innings. So I think that's why, it, you know, you, you think like, why didn't they go after a starter? Um, and, you know, they even gave up Rich Hill. Well, they think, okay, guys like um, McClanahan, McClanahan can go relatively deep. I think he just went seven innings in his last start. Um, Fleming on a good day can get five, maybe six. And then they just have a bunch of guys that they think can, that they can depend on to go two or three innings. So you have a guy go five, five innings or four, even four innings. Then you have a, a, a long reliever who goes three and then you have a setup man and a closer, but they don't even, they don't even do setup man and closer. They just throw the best guys out there and they do that the best out of anyone in the MLB, which is why, you know, they, I, based on their position in the standings, they're doing something right. And I don't think that they necessarily needed to make a move. Is it playoff sustainable? We'll find out. Um, it worked last year. So they clearly are confident that it'll work again this year. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's gusty yeah, over there. You know, we we got a we got a storm here in Chicago. The Cubs oh, game wow. is uh, probably going to be on hold for now. <laughs> Yikes! Um, all right, so we talked about all the deals that did happen. There's a couple, um, not more than a couple. There's a few deals that never ended up happening that I do want to touch on real quick. And one of them, uh, which I love when teams do this when they release like could have like almost trades. Uh, when the Tampa Bay Rays, speaking about the Rays. When they almost traded Kim uh, Glasnow for Craig Kimbrell and Chris Bryant, that would have been that would have been wild. First of all, um, but I just feel like um, I mean, obviously for the Cubs, super risky trading for a guy who's um, now undergoing Tommy John surgery, so he won't be available until 2023. But at the same time, it it it. I feel like the fact that they were even pursuing Glasnow or that this deal was even you know put, being put on paper. Uh, it gives me the idea that the Cubs are, are that their rebuild may not be as long as we think. And that kind of supplements the, um, the idea that we had when they acquired Nick Madrigal, it's like, all right. So if you guys were really, if you guys acquired Madrigal and you were seriously pursuing, um, glass now, that must mean that you think that your window may be, uh, uh approaching sooner than we think, or they were going to have Glasnow pitch that one year and maybe sign into sign into an, an extension if their rebuild was going to go any longer. But I just I, I just love seeing these types of trades that almost happened, especially when it involves superstars going uh, going both ways here. Um, I don't know if you guys have any thoughts on that before we move on. Not in particular. Otherwise, I mean, other than it would have just been absolutely insane. And I think you're right about what you said about the the Cubs' direction. So yeah, it, it would have been it would have been cool to see, but. Uh, whatever it was the one team or the other backed out and didn't get it done. But yeah, you, you always wonder how teams value these injured players who have star potential or who have been stars because obviously a healthy glass now would be one of the best trade chips in baseball. So how does a team value him knowing the success rate of Tommy John is pretty high now. Um, it would have been interesting to see what the total package would have been. Yeah. Um, last topic for the day. And it's going to be regarding the team that plays less than a mile away from where I live. The Colorado Rockies. <laughs> they kept 
Trevor Story. They kept Herman Marquez. They kept Jonathan Gray. And they kept CJ Crone. They kept the bottom line, they traded nobody um, except for Givens. <laughs> um, what is this organization doing? They could a uh, story is uh, story is, is a free agent after this season. Marquez probably has the most team friendly contract in all of baseball. Most value there. No joke. They could, we, we've mentioned this on this podcast. The Rockies could have seriously rebuilt their whole team to be competitive quickly, quickly. If they traded story Marquez and gray, like those three guys could have netted them. Uh, just, I mean, Marquez alone could have netted them like a, a whole rebuild right there. Um, was the offers were the offers that they got for story really that bad that the qualifying offer is going to net them more than what they would have gotten. Like, I know they were talking about moving, like some teams were even thinking about using story in center field. Um, I, I, I mean, obviously his, his offense hasn't been up to par to what we usually, um, see from story but like you, you would have thought that he would have gotten some more trade value like i i, I remember we were saying like it, it would have we would see story traded before Baez was traded but i mean and and, and the cubs got a, a a solid prospect for Baez. so um i don't know i i mean i would have loved to be a, a, a um a fly on the wall during during any of these negotiations when they happened or were the rockies really trying that hard or were they because I, I know they were saying they lowered their asking price at one point for story but clearly not low enough i don't know what the rockies are doing could can any of you guys like make sense of this or is it just uh or, is, or are the rockies literally that much of a lost cause i'll i'll bite first um and and i'll talk about the guys who are not named story first um i i just think there's zero reason why they don't trade gray or crone you know guys who are good and would absolutely bring value to any team that they're on most teams um and the fact the fact that they couldn't get a deal done and we already knew this that is that their management is just bottom tier the lowest of the low so no surprise the opposite there. of the rays right um Touching on Trevor's story, I was thinking about this. It's like, man, you know, you couldn't get like a decent deal for story. How are you not dealing them? I guess they just think that, you know, they give them the story is guaranteed to not take the qualifying offer. I would be, that would be the surprise of the off season. Seriously, if, it would be. If story did. Yeah. Uh, so they're just like, you know what? We're going to get a first round draft pick for them. We're not getting any offers better than that. We're just going to leave them. You know, kind of. I think the incompetence comes into play, but when I think about it, it kind of makes sense. Ooh. Yeah, I was going to say too, I don't think the story one is as bad as the pitchers because as we, as Nick mentioned, as we mentioned before, there just wasn't a clean fit. Um, John Gray is just the one that doesn't make any sense. Apparently they were talking about extending him, but the Rockies are nowhere near being a playoff team right now, especially in the division that they're in. So an extension also doesn't really make any sense. And there's no reason that you can't trade him now and re-sign him in the off season. So that, that whole thing just doesn't make any sense. Like if you wanted to stay in Colorado, he could just re-sign in Colorado after being traded. So um, there's no reason not to trade John Gray. He would be a top 
three to four starter on most playoff teams. Um, so yeah, I think overall the Rockies, it seems like they don't know what they're doing with deal after deal, seemingly not maximizing the talent or trading players at the wrong time or not trading players at all. Um, so it, it's been strange to watch. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's a, it's just a, such a frustrating um, <laughs> franchise to watch with how they've uh, time and time again have just handled um, handled their players, their, their superstar players. Just mm-hmm. uh, they just haven't committed to them, even though they technically have committed like with Arenado, they committed, but then they didn't. I don't know. Cause then they just um, didn't build around him. Or yeah, whatever. exactly. Anyway, before we go real quick, I just want to, I had one quick thought um, mm-hmm. that I was going to mention at the beginning and totally forgot because it wasn't a trade, but it was an extension that was announced a few weeks before <laughs> the debt, the excuse you. <laughs> Sorry. The um, no, you're fine. <laughs> I couldn't tell if that was a sneeze or a cough or yeah, or a growl. Else, you're good. Yeah. It, was, it was a cough. No, I'm good. I'm good. I should have mentioned right. at the beginning. I've got I got some sniffles. So if if you hear some weird noises throughout the pod, that's 100 percent me. Hey, it happens. <laughs> Anyways. Anyways. Back to sorry. the no. You're fine. Back to the extension. I was going to mention Lance Lynn. Oh, yeah. If not the favorite to win the Cy Young, is he top three in the American League? I mean, he's just yes. been absolutely incredible. Yes. Um, his ERA is under two. I don't think he's been quite that good. But even if you estimate it more in the high twos to low threes, even, he's one of the best pitchers in the entire league. Um, and he's been consistent all year. And not only that, he pitches every five days, which is extremely, extremely valuable, especially in a season like this. He signed an extension for... Saying this off the top of my head, so I can't 100% confirm, but it was something like two years, 38 million, yep. with a club with a club option for a third year. And I was, I saw those numbers, and I was like, wait, is that like half of what he got, or like a third, or <laughs> to like I understand that he's 34, so he's not going to get that 200 million dollar deal that a guy with these numbers would get if he was 26 years old or 27. But I would have expected 90, 100 easily. Um, think about some of the deals that happened in the past, Mike Leake got like 60 to 70 million from the Cardinals. And that was like five or six years ago. So you would think contracts should have gone up in value by then. And Lance Lynn is significantly better. Obviously he's a little bit older, but like significantly better. So even if Lynn drops off, I don't know, 10%, 20% of his production falls off during the course of these three years, he's still a bargain at that price. Um, Mm -hmm. paying that much for a, number three or four starter would be worth it. And this is a guy who might win Cy Young this year. Um, so I feel like that just didn't get the attention it deserved. And yeah. that, that to me is a better move than any of the trades that happened. It's just incredible that the White Sox were able to keep him at that price for potentially three years. And if he gets hurt or if he's bad, you only have him for two. So there's zero risk to this deal, essentially, for a guy who should be as safe of a bet as any to provide quality in it. Yeah, Mike Leake got five five years, eighty million. By the way, Un- unbelievable, <laughs> unbelievable. And Lance Lynn took less didn't, than forty million guarantee. Didn't even get half that. Yeah, didn't even yeah. get half. Just Jeez. crazy. He, 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 there's something about being with the White Sox right now that just clicked with him because there's he left money on the table. There's no other way around it. He wanted right. to be a White Sox, which is you don't usually see that, especially from a guy who's only been on a team for a half a season. But he no doubt took left money on the table to stay with the White Sox. Yeah. Yeah. A good point. Bring, bring that one up. Yeah. I completely forgot about that. Yeah. It was such a, it was, it was really surprising when we saw that. 
Um, mm-hmm. Isn't it wild though that we thought like even if he asked like a month ago, like who's going to win Cy Young? Oh, Cole in the American League, Degrom in the National League, and now it's likely neither of them are going to win the award. Um, mm-hmm. Same with MVP. You know, earlier this season we were saying it's going to be Mike Trout and Fernando Tatis. Then Chalk got hurt. Okay, all right. So now Shohei and and uh, um, oh my God, and uh, Freeman Tatis. or and, and, and Tatis. Yeah. Yes. Now Tatis is hurt. Shohei hasn't been the same. I, I think Shohei will still win uh, unless he really continues to drop off. He's been good um, pitching wise. Yeah. Good, yeah. Good, yeah. yeah. Don't, don't get me wrong. Like, he's still the front runner. Um, but now it looks like in the National League, with if Tatis is going to miss a significant amount of time, uh, people are saying Harper might even be MVP. And then in the American League, I mean, I think that one's still Otani's to to lose. But um, it's just weird that we thought we thought all these awards were kind of like set in stone a while ago, and then everything just changed. Like three out of three out of, can, three out of the four awards have changed. Yeah. yeah, baseball can change really fast. I mean, think about a couple of weeks ago, the Phillies were in third place, looking like a team that might even have to sell at the deadline. Now all of a sudden they're in first place with the front runner for MVP and Cy Young. Yeah. So things can change very, very fast. Obviously, we learned Harper have had good seasons the whole way. Um, but, you know, sometimes things just click or whether it's a, with a player or a team or and sometimes it goes the other way. Um, so there's yeah. still a lot of time left. We're talking about things like like they're definite. I think the only definites right now in terms of division winners um, are the Brewers and White Sox. And obviously, we'll get more into standings on our next pod. But um, yeah. there's still a, a lot that can happen. So it's going to be fun to watch. Love it. Nick, any, any uh, final notes before we sign off? Um, well, regarding Lance Lynn, I feel like he's the guy the Angels definitely needed. And I'm kind of, you know, kind of sad that he signed for such below value because I really think I'm confident that the Angels probably would have given him like eight for 300. Um, well, that would be crazy. <laughs> I know. I mean, it would, yeah, it would, it, it would totally be the Angels thing to do though. You it know? would be the Angels thing to do. Um, Imagine but... if he took one tenth of his value. That'd be crazy. <laughs> I know, uh, but no, I, I think overall, I'm uh, just kind of recapping, you know, fantastic trade deadline and all of the teams that needed to get better, I think got better. Uh, and, you know, we're, we're seeing the playoff push already. We got a month and a half left of baseball and, and, and this is, this is where it gets exciting. Yep. Yep. Very exciting. Uh, yeah, so teams are set in place. Like Brian said, there's no more um, mid-August um, waiver deadline anymore. Like what, what what you see is what you're going to get. And uh, yeah, this trade deadline was a treat. It was really nice. It was nice having it on a Friday too. I really appreciated that. Not having to like, um, you know, just be distracted from work, just to be checking my phone every, t- every five seconds uh, in the middle of a week. It was on a Friday, which was great to see. Um, yeah. So like Ryan said, we're going to do another podcast later on this week to kind of just go uh, dive into, you know, uh, the state of baseball where it is right now, uh, where standings are at, and we're going to get a bit more in depth, but today meaty pod, a lot to talk about so many transactions uh, in both leagues. And it was, uh, um, like I said, before at the beginning of the podcast, just like a, a good mix of moves that were made this deadline. Uh, so for episode 18, I'm Fernando for Ryan and Nick. Have a good week, everyone. We'll see you next week or later this week. Yeah, later this week. Peace. In our days, cause I found God. Yeah, yeah, yeah.